0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Alex Sinace and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent and I'm your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. So first of all, thanks very much, everyone for for joining and uh, welcome. Uh, Today we're going to be discussing around digital interoperability within the NHS. Uh, So thank you all for the time to participate. It is much appreciated. You all know me by now, but just uh, for for the listener, my name is Alex Sinace and I work for Evolution Recruitment, part of the NHS team. And we are committed to helping people and also NHS organisations realise their potential. So the way to bring that to life, our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. uh, And we're doing that by collaborating with NHS organisations, helping them build high performing digital teams. So we do that through curating and also through sharing insights and industry best practice into the ever-evolving NHS and the digital industry. So this is exactly what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be sharing some of your insights from a digital leader perspective. So if you can go around and do introductions, uh, if you can just please introduce yourself, the trust you work for, and then obviously your role within the trust. Uh, Should we start with yourself, Susan?
1: Okay, yeah, I am the called the IT and Informatics Director uh, for the North Thames Genomic Laboratory Hub, which covers seven trusts, which the primary is GOSH for rare disease and Royal Marsden for cancer. And there are other partners like UCLH and Imperial War Three and the Orthopaedic. And additionally, I work closely with Genomics England and NHS England.
0: Amazing, perfect. Andrew.
2: Hello, and I'm Andrew Pope. I'm IT Director for the Royal Marsden and Harefield Hospitals. We used to be called the an NHS Foundation Trust. We're now a clinical group and we're part of Guy's and St Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust so um, we've actually been part of guys and st thomas's for about the past 12 months but it's only now we're actually now starting to merge together so gradually from about april onwards um, you'll have various sort of groups like um, pediatrics and cardiology are going to start joining together a lot more and um, in, from an IT perspective, we're doing a lot of work in the background, to so not only trying to get the two organisations to start working together a lot more collaboratively, but one of our big goals is we're still putting in this um, big epic um, enterprise um, um, electronic patient record solution, and that's next April um april 23 so there's a lot going on between now and then and i think sort of the merger from a certainly from a, a technology perspective is probably still going to take
0: a good sort of couple of years to do amazing i think at the, at the beginning you said royal Marsden. it's it's royal brompton sorry <laughs> <laughs> just so, just so the listeners are aware as
2: well okay <laughs> amazing. For, for ge- geographically Actually, our IT department is actually closer to the Royal Marsden reception oh, it? than it is to the Royal
0: Brompton <laughs> reception.
1: This is true. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Amazing. So Andrew, should we, should we start with your question? Um, do you want to address the question to Susan? And then uh, if you want to also provide some context to the question, that would be great.
2: Yes, I'll have to. I'll have to remember what I actually wrote down. Yes, so so say so as a clinical group, um, part of a, a larger trust, um, we ourselves we've got over three hundred what I call software application systems mostly clinical application systems of which some 80 are managed by IT and then the rest are managed within the organization which you could sort of very much sort of see as shadow IT now as a result we, we then suffer from two things first off we've got far too many systems all overlapping each other so it's sometimes quite difficult to actually sort of ascertain where is the single version of the truth that's the first that's the first issue we have and then the second one from a shadow IT perspective um, quite often that's unsupported so what can sometimes happen is you can you can either have catastrophic failure or they can be even um, open to cyber security attacks as well so really what I wanted to know was sort of you know how do other organizations tackle these two issues not only from a technical perspective but also from a governance perspective as well
1: I mean it's actually especially with the recent well, where we have around, you know, um, the disaster running up to Christmas. Um, What we've done and and, and the biggest problem we have is because like you have with your connections with GSTT and and the border mix. um, We we have people from multiple organisations tapping in and, and what we've uh, in terms of genetics, what we've had to look at is actually a segregated network, which overlaps those different bits, mm. um, and the only way to do that is because otherwise, they potentially could get to places where they shouldn't be able to. So, what we've introduced is, and I'm reducing now, is a very strict protocol of ensuring. From the organization in terms of whether they are right to have access to these systems and how they're separated and actually by having that segmented network it's given us a lot more problems than it's given us positives at the moment because mm. things that used to work stop working because they've had a free fall for too long but what we're now finding as we're fixing those things what we end up with is also a dedicated ability to then say yeah well Marsden can connect in, UCLH can connect in and we can get much more sharing. Um, it it takes, I think there's a lot of technology involved in it and I don't think we always get it right. I think the governance is the thing that we really fail on. Um, one of the things I have is that access to the sy- different systems both within the North Thames area, but also in terms of Genomics England, we don't control starter leavers. Mm. So what you end up having is you've got an individual that works, gosh, today, they go up and work in North Yorkshire or whatever, but they've still got access to our systems because we haven't shut them down. And I'm actually currently and I've been scoping it and and actually, really, it shouldn't have been my job, it should have already been in place, but actually a process that actually sorts out the approval and also actually ensures when people leave that we delete mm. them from the system, because I think this is something that the NHS is extremely bad at.
2: Mm.
1: I bet if you did a search for user accounts and stuff still on RBHT, you'd find loads that have left you so mean
2: possibly yeah I was gonna say actually one thing we've just done recently is mainly because mainly down to monetary with office 365 licenses every person has an office 365 license what we, one of the big issues we have there is we get lots of new users coming in like new global like we get we get a new doctor's intake every six weeks but it takes about two or three months to hear back from HR. So what we've now started putting in place is 180 days. If your account hasn't been used for 180 days, it automatically gets culled. And that way we we keep down to our magic user num, user count, which is 5,150. However, and this is the big however, we've got we've still got something like 8,000 active act, active directory accounts and a lot of this Susan is back to a lot of these clinical syst- clinical databases because what one thing I should have should have stressed to anyone that's listening is one thing that um I'll get it right this time raw brompton and hair <laughs> raw and hairfield do is we are we're we're actually a specialist hospital in cardiology and and, th- and sort of things like cystic fibrosis so what you've got is you've got a lot of research databases have been set up and they're very very good databases unfortunately it's trying to get people to get access to that for instance one of the things that somebody one of the um one of the uh, people was trying to set up was a um was based around sort of um, looking at the trends of looking at genetic, back to genetics actually, Susan, of anybody, sort of family members that have got sort of cystic fibrosis type issues and also also trying to set up almost like a, a national screening database. So in a similar way that you've already got a national screening database for things like breast cancer, a lot of these other diseases, there's nothing in place whatsoever and they are basically just being set up by individual people. Um, and that's one of those things. So there's some fantastic data there. The big problem, as you say, Susan, is the governance, who's got access to it. If it's a data, that's not so bad. But when you start getting into those realms of having patient identifiable data, that's what causes the issues. So, you know, from an IT perspective, I sometimes find, you're, yes, you're trying to you're trying to protect the systems you're trying to protect the data but you're also trying to be pragmatic here of thinking there's some people doing some really good stuff here but it's slightly but without much but with but with little governance
1: one of the things we've done in the genetic space because initially a lot of the data was for research now it's very very different especially in um rare disease where we're doing you know um I can give an example of somebody I know who's um, turned out their son had an autoimmune disease um, and will have to have treatment for the rest of his life, tested both parents, found both parents were carriers and so two carriers made a positive. But When um, this lady got pregnant again they were able to test the fetus and actually show that the daughter would be a carrier but not actually have the disease. So longer term, obviously, when you know, she's um, currently seven, I think she's a bit older before she gets married and has children, obviously. But you know the fundamental point of it is is that she will have to be tested with her respective partner in the future. So it's going from research into more reality. The, one of the things we've done on the genetic side uh, within the whole genomics, of, uh, which is the national organisation, is we start with what we call the patient consent. And so what we do is we almost say, like. Because we can't anomalize the data, there's just no way, because especially if you're going in and out, things like Epic and you've got a patient identifier. So the only way to do it is to say up front. Do you agree that your data could be used for multiple uses? It obviously will not go out of the NHS. But that we can actually, you know, build it together, because then we can get Trends, you you talked about personal conditions, but I mean, we can then get trends on, I don't know, which kind of rare diseases or cancers are more likely to happen in certain families or certain ethnic groups or whatever. And the only way you get that is to have enough data. And the only way to get enough data is for that patient consent. So we've hooked everything around our IG and our governance back to that patient consent. At any point, though, there is the risk that the family could take that consent away. And we would then have to remove that data or do something different with that data. Generally speaking, because they know it's... It, the, the reason they're being tested is because there's been identified an issue in their family, they're generally quite up for it. When we don't go out the street saying, anyone oh, fancy being tested, it is people who have got a history or a condition within the family but we find by that we can get uh, and we have a very strong level of um, information governance through the DPIAs and we also have to do safety cases that show how that data goes to and I have to go through a patient safety outcome every time I make a change to a system to protect the patient um, and to be honest with you unless you actually knew what you're looking at you know, I've seen the charts that the scientists see. They they would mean very little to you unless you're a clinical scientist. They're just like a little bit of a very pretty picture with lots of lines on it. You know, so. But how
0: but, do we build? How do we build the 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 patient's confidence in data sharing? Is
2: that a question um, for either of us? Or? yeah, yeah,
0: Susan. Um.
1: Um. It, it, it is. I've not. I've. I'm not. I've not had a lot of issues with concerns and patients giving consent. I've had. A, we've had a couple of issues with live issues where um, delays because of national systems have meant that samples have taken longer to be analysed and put through to um clinical scientists to validate and when you're dealing in a lot of the cases we are which are fetuses or babies machine fetuses you could be looking at something whereby the baby won't go to term or will die very shortly afterwards and having the parent having enough information up front to make a balanced choice but also even about preparing themselves for the kind of care they might have to give depending on what condition the child has um, and there have been cases when we've um, they've gone all the way through and and it's become very complicated so i think we've actually had more concerns coming out of instances when parents feel let down that they've not been sufficiently informed i mean not many we're talking you know less than two or three that I've ever heard of but it has happened and one is too many because as a parent you know and it isn't about selecting what kind of baby you want but you do need to know if a baby has a certain condition to know how you're going to care for that baby if you're going to bring it into the world or whether it potentially is never capable of coming into this world uh, and it and it's very sensitive because it's around you know fetuses and babies. And sometimes some of the sampling we do means that you can't actually allow a baby to leave home hospital to be with their parents until the tests are done. So we don't get a lot of concern at the consent point, but we do get concerns if if we delay getting the samples and the analysis done, which is a very specialist field and can take weeks. And if you're uh, an expectant parent, that that can be a a lifetime.
0: Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah,
2: I think I think overall, actually not not just with this type of thing, but I think one of the big problems that you've got with with the NHS is, I think. Every hospital or every trust has its own set of systems, so you've got your core. So yes, yes, nationally you've got your big, you got your big national systems where you've got your you got your very high level um, patient demographics, but the trouble is when you come down to each individual hospital, they've all got their own patient administration systems. They've all got their own ways that they actually store the data about you. And you've got all these other systems coming in. I always think in terms of, if you, I always think in terms of, if you're on an episode of care, an ideal episode of care is you come in you get seen a consultant you get treated and then you get discharged and if you think about it like a fishbone you're you're basically you're just going straight along the backbone from one side to the other yes there's lots of fins coming off and lots of lots of bones coming lots of avenues going off where you go off to different get different treatments and the big problem is even the end to end can be sometimes quite disjointed and then you've got all these other systems that are and processes that are pulling in some processes are still paper based some are electronic but they don't all link together and of course one of the big problems and one of the big problems that we've got and guys have got is because we've got these different Big core systems like patient administration, electronic patient record, even electronic document management, and then you've got things like your your photographic archive and communication systems. None of them quite link together, so it's very difficult to work out where the single version of the truth is. Now, one thing that, as a lot of the organisations start putting in their their big systems like your Epics and your Cerner's, yes, you solve. You solve that end-to-end issue but the big problem you've still got, you've still got all those other processes linking in and put, you know one of the things we have is pathology and that that's always one of those things. Now, now we've got our own in-house pathology which is good because we can send for the test results off and they're all within the same hospital. Guys do everything externally, And that can cause, you know, that's got advantages and disadvantages. One of the disadvantages we've got is a lot of the, and I don't know if it's the same with you, Susan, but a lot of our testing equipment, like a lot of the, in the, in the pathology labs, some of it is very, very good equipment, but it's sort of anything from five to 10 years old. Some of it is even older. And the thing is, because they've been looked after, they'll probably work for about another, they'll probably, they, you probably get about 15, 20 years life out of these things. The big problem you've got is um, you can't get the IT to link in properly. So even big organizations like Olympus, even up until last year with um, a lot of their sort of on, on cost type sort of solutions, um, they were still operating on Windows 7. And if people like Olympus are still behind the curve on a, on on Windows 7. When you get some of these very, very small specialised organisations, trying to actually get up-to-date IT to link into these systems is quite difficult. So the big problem then is you've then got, you might have the results, in the results might actually come in time, trying to get those results in a timely fashion back into your core system, back to that Back to that primary consultant. That consultant can then go back to the patient and give them the results. You know, you you look at it and you think well, it's a very simple process that only ought to take a couple of hours, but in reality, it can take a few weeks. And that's uh, and that's you know, I, I can concur with where you're coming from on that one, Susan.
1: And 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 I have to forewarn you, Epic won't solve it all.
2: It won't, no
1: that the, you know I, i'm doing an end-to-end process review at the moment because the um we use beaker here for our genetic bit which is a pathology
2: module really. that's a part of epic yes
1: part of epic which i think you're looking at doing as well because mm. i spoke to a few because obviously i talk to people in your organization because we're on the genomics linking yes um and and if you look at the spreadsheets I've got, the amount of times we're going out and we've got our bioinformatics team writing lovely little sexy databases and systems not supported or under any forms of control, which goes back to your cyber threat points Yeah, and the rest. And I'm just trying to bring it all back together and get some control. And, you know, I, I blink and someone goes out and buys another. stuff because the biggest problem I have is that we have these big um, machines that it's enormous like one of them we weren't even sure we we're going to get in the lift to get to the sixth floor so big and it can process something like i don't know a thousand samples in a blink of an eye our problem is then data storage because the analyzed data not the raw data but the analyzed data we're currently using between 150 and 200 terabytes a year and that's going to double over the next year and so, we, in terms of gosh, because a lot of our ITs don't have a gosh, we are the biggest data storage people that they've got. So, we're an absolute nightmare for IT. Most of IT hate me because I just walk in there and say, Come on, you've got to sort this out. And I'll go, Why? And I go, Well, I, I raised this with you five five months ago and I've been chasing you ever since. You've run out of time. You've got to do it now. So. What we're finding is, but then if you're not careful, you can process more and more samples, but you've still got to have the people on the ground, the clinical scientists that can interpret and analyse, and then that becomes your next bottleneck. Uh, And also, we have literally rooms above the room of refrigerators with blood, and I don't mean small blood, quite big vials of blood, So one of the things we're looking at is should we be looking at reducing the size or if you actually have the DNA and all the data imaginable, do we need the blood? But at the moment, there is literally a room with wall-to-wall refrigerators full of blood, all barcoded so you can go back and it goes back. And for pathology, I think the keeping of data, and I don't know about blood, is something like 30 or 35 years, which is a long time to store stuff. But what we are trying to move to is that we could actually be able to do one set of sequencing and then you wouldn't have to keep storing all this stuff. You'd have it in place, but that still takes a lot of storage. And then we have the debate between on premise versus cloud. Mm-hmm. So we have our bioinformatics teams, which love these Dragon servers, which are. You know we put one in yesterday, you know, and they're on our genetics network, so they're, they're secure, but you know, the speed they process that because We haven't got storage devices in normal IT that can handle the speed that they process the data at, um, which is quite a big problem. So we have data storage network concerns and generally a lack of clinical scientists, which is a really big issue for us. Um, I think one of the other things I wanted to touch on, though, was you mentioned shadow IT. Mm. Now, one of the problems I've had is is because a department centre, that sometimes lack confidence in IT, so they've gone away, and because they've been allowed to, they've done their own thing. Yeah, and it's there is an education we need to do with them, and that's what a large part of what my role has been is to rein them back in, uh. so that they don't just go out down to a not quite PC world, but you know some backward door or whatever and buy another server and just sneak it in when no one's looking and and I, I'm finding that still and because IT can't react quickly enough I think I think the scientific patient level into a level rather is very low yeah. They want things now and and an and actual fact that's very rarely possible and I'm sure you've got similar circumstances where people are buying devices and plugging them under their desks and all sorts
2: yeah and I think I think some of it is sort of is 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 down to the fact that I think for years and years has been under investment so because you've had under investment IT can bear barely struggle to keep the lights on. As you say, they then can't do any, they then can't do any other implementations for other people. One of the things I've been trying to do, and I suppose I, you know, I inherited it from my predecessor that you work for. He, he start, he started the journey, and I'm trying to continue with that journey, is to actually get a very, very secure. Um, not only get a secure IT environment, but one that you can build on very quickly and you can you can you can add these things on you know on a on a sort of quite an incremental basis big problem here then and it's and this is but this is back to the way the nhs is funded and the whole public sector piece of you get given these va- these vast amounts of capital that you can use and you've got to use or lose within the year but then you've got to keep your revenue costs or your operation or your operation I mean, expenditure costs to, to a bare minimum. So that what, what then happens is towards the end of the year, all these all these departments go out and buy all these bits of equipment, even though they haven't got a clue how to actually get them configured. That's one problem. And then you, and then on the flip side, you've also got this sort of big, big thing from NHS England, oh, cloud first, we've got to go over to cloud. The trouble is um, it doesn't fit, fit the cost model because the cost model for going over to like Azure is a revenue-based cost model. So where most private sector where most I ought to mention I've only been in the public sector for a year. I've spent the previous 34 years in the private sector. And the way the private sector work is it's very much a case of um yeah, you'll you'll look at what your costs are going to be over a three or a five year period so then you can go into this revenue model but the trouble with the way um the way Microsoft Azure has built this is the fact that it's 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 a very high revenue model compared with your capital one of the other things that so this is me now having a dig at Microsoft the other thing that it's really against the likes of um research environments most sorry I'll, just, I'll go back I'll go back one if you're in the retail yes. organisation it's quite straightforward what you do friday and saturday when you've got your busy times you buy more more compute power off microsoft and away you go then during the week you ramp it down and it's a really good cost model the trouble with research databases you can't work like that everybody wants they want a bit to go on weekends evenings and they want they want that maximum power so you're paying so you're paying for all that uptime, even though you're not using it all the time. And the other thing, the other sting in the tail as well, that Microsoft don't tell you about until you get the bill, is they charge you for uploading and downloading data. So when you're, in, when you're doing research and you're uploading vast amounts of data and pulling down vast amounts of data, before you know it, your Microsoft Azure costs are absolutely astronomical. Anyway, that's, my, that, that, that's me on my political soapbox. So and, you know, somebody somebody within NHS England has to renegotiate with Microsoft to get a better costing deal, because unfortunately, people at my level, you, you haven't got a hope in hell's chance of getting anywhere with the likes of Microsoft.
1: Which is why we end up putting the raw data that we don't need anymore into Azure and keep the analysed data that we keep doing different things with on-premise so I then need my 200 terabytes, which is a ridiculous amount of data. We're also, by the way, looking at AWS, which is a little bit cheaper than Azure. Um, and actually, NHS England are quite actively looking at AWS and looking at national systems going on to that. But you're right that the problem you have with research is it is actually the transactional, which is where the cloud builds you beyond any level of insanity and then you end up with these enormous bills for doing nothing um, and and it, yeah it's an absolute nightmare complete nightmare
0: so Andrew does that answer your your initial question I think it does I think we also
2: delved into Susan's next <laughs> question so we'll, um, yeah. but I do think
1: that when you've got multiple systems as you and I both have yeah. The only way is going to be is standards. I'll so be using you know XML. I'll be using fire data standards. How we're going to build APIs to communicate with different things. At the end of the day, we're never going to have the same limbs, any of them. You've got no. you've got multiple limbs where you you are. We have mm. as well. Um, we're going to end up with Epic, Gosh, and Will Marsden on Epic, and us the only Beaker one and molmars and beaker. Um, but the others are on obsolete stuff. We've got to talk to each other
0: no.
1: and. And I and I do think there is, and it's something that actually within David McKinnon, I don't know if you've come across him, he works in genetics in GSTT. He's uh, he's like my opposite number as an informatics kind of person. Um, he's leading on a epic beaker forum across genetics, but it could be broader because um, what we need to understand is, is is if people think epic or beaker, the module in pathology and the genetics use is going to solve all, we're all going to be very disappointed. yeah, but if we pull together and understand how we wish to improve it, and grow it, then actually the more of us on the same page with the same, we've got more punch. Mm, yeah, it's the only way you win out against a, a big organisation like Epic is, is you know, is with that bit of oomph in your fight. Mm. So we probably ought to look at that. Some of those meetings in relation to wider than genetics. Mm, yeah, maybe take that one offline and see what we, we, we can do with that, because I mean, you're I mean, he um, I know he works with St. George's as well, because they, they, they work quite closely with GSTT with St. George's on the genetical side. Um, but yeah, so I do think though we're, we're going to have to learn to live the fact that no one will have the same systems and we will want to talk to each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when they defined spine, you know, when they put it all in the NHS and they work and stuff out, it's all going to help each other. Nobody's ever gonna to talk to each other like that, that openly. Yeah. It's a bit like asking local authorities to finance weren't any better. So, like you obviously I've had a lot of private sector working. But I do think we stand a chance if we can collaborate more uh-huh. across different organisations, because there are learnings we can give to each other. Um, and 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 I, I think that's there's some You've got some fascinating people in your area, in genetics, by the way. Deborah Ruddy and quite a few people, some really good people. Because so, um, I think some of them have been over to visit our instance of Beaker. And it might well be something that a few more of your team wish to come over here and, you know, see for themselves if that's beneficial. We're more than happy to do that.
2: Yeah, I've got I've got one of my people, who you'll know. He's, uh, he's heavily involved with Beaker at the moment.
0: Okay. Yeah, so. Amazing. Perfect. Right. Well, should we, should we um, go to your question, Susan? Was that about how we've actually covered so, it? Yeah we, yeah, we, yeah, in terms of how do we overcome the technical and governance barriers in order to inab, enable, greater collaboration? Do you want to give us a bit of more context around that? One of, one
1: of the things I would say is, 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 is In genetics, we're really good at finding small organisations to develop specialised systems to do specialised analysis. And one of the things governance wise we've done is before we just, yeah, you can do it. We now do insist on NDAs, and we do insist on clear protocols of their access and how remote access works. I mean, one of the best appointments um, that IT made was they brought in a fantastic cyber guru who has been amazing and has transformed our security. Um, He's caused me a lot of problems because lots of things stopped working, but now we're getting them working again. But what he's done is bring in a structure where, whereas before they could just plug it in, we'll just get this loaded, it'd be off. They can't do that now, which actually makes it harder for shadow IT to exist, haven't cracked it everywhere. Because you've still got if you've got a network point, you can plug a device in. But we are next stage. We're actually going um, for network access control lists. I know that while back when I was at Brompton and Harefield, we were looking at that and it didn't go anywhere, but actually I, I do think it is the way it needs to go. So we have trusted and untrusted devices.
2: Yeah, I I was I was amazed when I walked into the NHS and realised that you have open networks like that. You would you would never do that. You'd never do that in in other industries. I, I've worked in uh, things like petrochemical, which as you can imagine is quite regulated, and um, yeah, there's no way you'd even, you'd allow that at all.
1: And and, but, and and I think that's, again, about actually seeing those experiences that you and I have had outside in the private sector. Mm. Uh, I mean, sometimes I think they can't keep up with me because I keep saying, we need to do this and we need to do that. And they, they're like, well, yeah, but let's just go a bit slower. I go, no, <laughs> pace. Because yeah. the biggest problem I find is that people that have been in the NHS for a long time. Mm. Don't understand pace. Yeah. And that is probably one of my bigger frustrations. Mm. And if you're dealing with NHS England, they won't even know what you're talking about if you say the word pace, you know. Mm. And but I think it's almost like you've got to make people have the pain to get to the right place in the end. And and that's the only option, really. So in terms of governance, I do think We need to control who can and who can't access things. We need to restrict things so that some devices are considered untrusted or trusted. But we, most of all, probably need to educate the NHS on how to do things better
2: Mm.
1: so that we actually work in partnership with them and they actually realise that if they actually talk to us like back in the summer of what they're going to need to do and not come to you in February saying, as I've had, just bought a new Nova sequence that can process umpteen. We were stalling it next week and I go, well, you haven't got a plug from us stage you've got no power and you've got no network. We've got a few issues here, I think, we need to solve. But we need to get them to plan ahead. Mm. And I'm actually trying to, you know, get them to think about lead times and, and how to progress forward. Um, I've not cracked it, but bits of me are rubbing off now on them. Yeah, they kind of get that. And I think if you can be consistent, I'm sure you'll do much the same Andrew, with, with your approach and how you you allow work to in and out. You can only control what you know. Yeah. And then you can separately pick off one bit by one bit that you don't know and then bring them online.
2: Yeah, I think one of my one of my biggest concerns is, it's not if, it's it's when things go wrong, because you've got people have created these databases, somebody leaves, and then they don't know how, and then if that database gets corrupted, then it's back to IT, and sometimes we can't solve it, but of course the worst case is, some of these some of these in some of these devices they've got they don't back up or anything like that and if something something happens those you're just waiting for something catastrophic to happen now say fortunately we haven't had anything like that but also but it's but it's all also on the flip side as well you could do with a few little catastrophes to make people think our network um and you'll remember susan there's switches all over the place there's wires everywhere and there's stuff's crammed in cupboards which overheats we've also got we've also got a lot of our switch gear goes up goes right up through wet mechanical risers now luckily we had a water leak which actually damaged a load of stuff and completely knocked out a ward include including an intensive care unit now luckily at the time we we had a got a very quick workaround and we got we got the wards back up and running within a day but as a result it's now flagged this up to the senior management and they've now actually given me a load of money to actually spend and actually do this properly so now unfortunately i'm now down to the the nhs bureaucracy i'm still there four months later still trying to do the work (laughs) whereas in the private sector i'd have had it done the following weekend but you know we're getting there (laughs)
1: <laughs> and 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 sometimes you're right, we had a few disasters recently because our primary data centres on a floodplain and then the winds and the weather, you can imagine the problems that occurred. Um, luckily, we've been preparing for and had abilities and resilience to be able to re stuff, but it still caused major problems. And the fact that our secondary data center is also potentially on a floodplain yeah. means that actually we need to look at a cloud instance so that we've got some protection because these are close to each other. I mean, it's not even there's not even the distance you've got between, say, Brompton and airfield you know, they're like yeah. on the corner. <laughs> Plane hits all bets are off just hope the doctors know what they're doing you
2: know yes I am at the moment I am tr- I'm trying to get everything out of the uh, the Chelsea data center and put that into a an external co-located data center but um my colleagues at Guy's they're they're in they're in justice they're in a almost a worse case than you Susan in the sense that um the data center is actually below water level at high tide Okay, the tide only comes in twice a day in the Thames, so. Uh, <laughs> I think God... you, you can't even make this stuff up, really, can you?
1: <laughs> you can't. I, I go home to, I, and tell my husband some of the things that have happened and he goes. "What?" But I said, it, it's uh, there's never a typical day, but if we can make it better bit by bit. We will enable our clinical people to save more lives. Yeah, make lives better. I have to yeah. hang on to that. And I have to hang on to that when I'm told I'm being too impatient, which I often am. Because uh, just the nature of my personality, I want to get things done, I want them done now. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I've had to learn to breathe through that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but I but I think also is the fact that, you know, you, you, when you've been doing these types of roles for a number of years, you've seen the disasters that can happen, and that's and that's where you're constantly trying to push back back to the trust, back to the end users. You know, you say things like, "Well, we've only got so our disaster recovery cap- recovery cap- 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 capabilities are only so much. So, what's your business continuity like?" And the, and and unfortunately this is now the flip side of going more digital as you go more and more digital you've you know your your business continuity gets more and more difficult because at the moment you know if you have a major power cut and um you can't get onto your it systems well you go to your paper record but if you've lost everything you know you, you are absolutely stuffed although you know there are you know epic have got some very good um business continuity or disaster recovery type solutions whereby each major ward you have a you have a pc constantly backing up every everything on power on battery backup so that if you do have a major incident you can still you can still go onto the pc and you can still print stuff off so you've got that but one of the things one of the things i found quite amusing is um Epic really pushed this but um bit sad I've now started I've now started noticing that when I'm watching TV programs even including sort of American programs and you can and they're in a hospital and you can see Epic is actually working they still have their nice big white board up with all their patient names and their patient details on there, which I know from a GDPR perspective is not good. But from a business continuity <laughs> perspective, at least you know which patient is where. So it's, uh...
1: We have exactly the same. Yeah. Um, it's like and, and some of the, my clinical scientists doing the analysis, they love spreadsheets yes why are you leaving epic keep it all in epic but you don't pop out do a bit over here and then pop back in again and just stay in the system yeah oh such an education but i'm planning to change that next
2: yeah and i think that's one of the big battles isn't it it's it's convincing these people that if you put all the data into the likes of epic as you do it don't write it down put it in there but also You've also got the capabilities that you can pull this data straight out. You don't have to pull it into spreadsheets and data warehouses and things like that.
1: Exactly. And it it is a hard battle. I mean, um, and and although when I first came in, I kind of was a bit dotted line into different people. I'm now a hard line into the chief operating officer for um, North Thames Genomics Hub. Uh-huh. So my dotted line into IT is is a much smaller dotted line, if you know what I mean, okay. which it, in some ways is good because it means I'm focused on genetics as well as where I should be. But sometimes it's weakened some of my influencing power. So that's why I have to come into GOSH or whoever and and, and find the respective assistant director or director and say, look, mate, we have to sort this out together because people could, you know, you know, there is. And I, and I think in genetics, a lot of people think it's all research and, and research is actually not the biggest part. It mm. is actually as it probably is for you in the pathology and all the tests. Clinical lives matter by this stuff. Yes. And I and I have to and I had to do a town hall and, and tell the whole of ICT why I'm sometimes so demanding. Uh, which is one of the words that's been used to describe me, demanding unrealistic, pushy and a few other things. I'm doing it because you know, I've given them notice and they haven't reacted. And if they just keep ignoring me, in the end I have to walk into them and say, look, you've got to sort this, because otherwise we, we we're paying we're paying organizations other organizations money to, to manage systems that we should be managing in inside mm. you know gosh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Is there anything that you want to reflect back on, Andrew, Susan?
2: No,
1: I
0: think we've um I, I think, think we got to through.
1: catch up we to catch up for a drink sometime,
0: Andrew. Yeah that's... that sounds good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Well this has been a really, really great session. Uh, and I think it's a great introduction into second part that's going to come as well when we can get more people together uh we'll look to get Tracy together as as, as well from from yourself susan if you want to bring someone together um i'm I'm really looking forward to get the next one recorded as well now i think this is a great
1: recommend it on tracy because tracy's got a lot of nas devices that are not backed up going back to andrew's point about not having backups of something she may have got rid of some of that since i was yeah
2: no what the there again, yeah, might as well say that. one yeah, what she's got is she's got a lot of sleep studies that are sitting on various um backup devices. Now, in an ideal world, what she would do is she would put them into her master packs solution, and um, which is all hosted in the cloud and it's all fully backed up and everything like that. Big problem is it's the um. The metadata, the metadata associated with the, with the sleep studies is not in the right format to go into packs there again. It's back to the same old adage for years and years. It's all different systems and the two different systems don't quite talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah.
1: that's why I think it'd be very interesting because I do think the ways organisations manage data is actually really important.
2: Yeah. Well the other thing is you can have all the data in the world but unless you can do anything with that data you've got to take you've got to you can't turn it into information and if you can't turn it into information then you might as well forget it. Yes. That's,
1: you can't treat your patients basically.
2: No. It's, it's got to be good thing. data. <laughs> yes. Well, well data data that
0: you can convert into information. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you all for joining. It's been absolutely a lovely session. Um, can't wait for the next one now. Um, so thank you all. Um, I'm just going to start to stop the recording now.